And good evening, everybody, and thank you very much for tuning in to this Braille Institute telephone lecture. And we do these every month. Every month, the Braille Institute sponsors this type of a lecture, and we have people from all over the country who call in, and each month we have different types of topics. Now, um, tonight we're going to be talking about improving the vision and other solutions for children who have retinopathy of prematurity. And my name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and I'm the Chief of Optometry at the Center for the Partially Sighted in Los Angeles, California. And for over 25 years, I've been working with children who have all sorts of vision problems. And it's very, very good to see that so many of my patients that I saw when, you know, they were 20 years ago who had ROP to see how well that so many of them are doing. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is what is retinopathy of prematurity? Now, retinopathy of prematurity is a term that is used today to describe the condition in which the retina of the eye has become damaged as a result of premature birth. In the olden days, this was something that they called retrolental fibroplasia, or RLF. So you might meet many people who might be in their 50s and 60s, and they say, I have RLF. Well, basically, RLF and ROP are basically the same thing. Now, when we think about the development of the eye, the way that the eye is developed is that we know that each week that the baby is in utero, different structures of the eye are developing. And the blood vessels that provide blood and oxygen to the retina, those blood vessels usually are not fully grown until about 32 weeks of gestation. So when a child is born before 32 weeks of gestation, the blood supplies for the retina is not really there. So when these children are delivered, they usually are then often needing oxygen. And the reason for that is because the lungs are also not normally or fully developed. So when a baby is placed in the incubator where there's higher levels of oxygen, during that time period, the eyes and the lungs and the tissues of the body, they're very happy. They're happy because oxygen is being provided to the tissues of the body and they're very, very happy. Now what happens is that when a baby is then taken out of the incubator or taken off of oxygen because the lungs are stronger, immediately the retina of the eye says, hey, what happened to all the oxygen? There's not enough oxygen. And as a result, there's things that are called vasogenic factors that are released. And these are these factors that will cause the eye to produce more blood vessels. Now, these new blood vessels are supposed to deliver more blood to the tissues of the retina. But unfortunately, these new blood vessels, they often will leak. And when these blood vessels tend to leak, the blood leaks inside the eye and then scar tissue develops. So when the scar tissue starts to develop inside the eye, the scar tissue could pull onto the retina and it could cause the retina to tear. In some cases, the scar tissue might attach to the entire diameter of the retina and it could pull and detach the retina. In some babies, we'll see that there's so much scar tissue that when you look inside the pupil of the eye, which is the black part of the eye, we will often see that the pupil is not black. And that's because there is so much scar tissue inside the eye. 
So ROP and RLF are these types of conditions that because of the premature birth, this scar tissue does develop and it can tear and detach the retina. Now the severity of ROP can vary. Many times it's dependent on how developed were those retinal blood vessels. We will see sometimes that a child might be born, say for example 28 weeks of gestation, and some of these kids might have very, very mild ROP. But on the other hand, we might see another child who has the same gestation, and they might have very severe types of ROP. So normally what will happen is that when a baby is born prematurely, a retina specialist will come in and they will inspect the eyes of the newborn baby inside the hospital. And on May 12th, I believe is the date, we will send out another notice, but we're going to be having one of the renowned retinal specialists for children, Dr. Cal Tawanzi, is going to join us on our next telephone call to talk about some of the medical and surgical advances to help kids with ROP. Now, what we talk about here is just the fact that, again, no two children are going to be the same. In other words, if a child is born premature, if a child has low birth weight, these are all things that could all affect the level of the ROP. Now, many times with ROP, the ophthalmologists, the surgeons, they will grade it. They will grade it as stage 1, grade 2, grade 3, grade 4, grade 5, and generally the grade 5 is going to be the more severe type of ROP, and it means that there's going to be a larger area of the retina that has the scar tissue. But what we find is that for many, many children who have ROP, this scar tissue affects the peripheral retina. And the peripheral retina is the part of the retina that's going to give us the ability to see through the corners of our eyes. When you're driving down the road and you're looking at the car directly in front of you, you don't use your peripheral retina to see the car in front of you. But if you are then looking straight ahead at the car in front of you and you could see through the corners of your eyes, you could see your side view mirrors, that is using the peripheral retina. So many children who have ROP, they will have reduced peripheral vision because there's scar tissue in that area. And this is something that is quite common. So for the child who has ROP and the ophthalmologist tells you that it has affected the peripheral retina, one of the things that we recommend is that we begin to do a lot of different types of vision stimulation to teach those children how to move their eyes very well and to scan. I had a patient, and this is a young boy who had very limited peripheral vision, but early on we implemented the vision stimulation, and the dad was an avid baseball fan, so he would always throw the baseball around the house, and the kids would go and run after it, and his son really learned how to scan very well. Well, as he became older, this boy enjoyed playing basketball, and often you would think that there would be no way he could play basketball with reduced peripheral vision. But he was so proficient at scanning and moving his eyes that he was even able to play on the high school team, and he was excellent. He was an excellent athlete. So children can learn very, very early on in their life how to scan, how to move their eyes from one location to another to compensate for a lot of that peripheral vision. So you might ask, what are some of the activities that we could do 
to help my baby to develop better compensatory skills for the peripheral vision. Well, if your child is one who plays on the floor a lot, we could put a lot of toys on the floor. If he likes Beanie Baby stuffed animals, Hot Wheel cars, you could put coins, any type of thing that you think of. You just want to scatter them randomly across the floor, and you're going to play games so that as he's crawling, he can then crawl and try to find these things and pick them up and perhaps hand them to you. When kids get to be a little bit older, we find that there's also other types of good games that you could play with them. Other types of good games to help them to scan and to move their eyes include just even blowing bubbles in the air. All these bubbles that are blowing in the air, we want them to try to pop them and to catch them. If they're a little bit older, we could also play other types of card games. If you play card games such as Go Fish or Match, what you want to do though is you want to spread the cards very wide so that they have to move their eyes from left to right in order to scan. You could also do other types of things such as just playing different types of games of sports with them. We know that if you're going to go ahead and kick a soccer ball across the floor to them, they're going to have to try to run and also use their peripheral vision at the same time. You could also do different types of things where you're going to play different games, video games. There's different types of video games where there's a camera that goes on top of your television and it's going to take a picture of your child so your child will see him or herself on the TV. As they look at the television, there's going to be all these other types of images that are going to be flying off to the side and they have to try to hit it on their TV. So if you have a big screen TV, it really helps them to scan and to use their peripheral vision. So these are some of the types of things that could be done to improve that level of peripheral vision. Another thing that happens with ROP is that most children who have ROP are often nearsighted. And so nearsightedness basically means that a child could see things more clearly when things are brought closer as compared to things that are further away. Now we want to go ahead and prescribe glasses. You want a low vision optometrist or low vision ophthalmologist to prescribe glasses for your child who has ROP. And if they are nearsighted, we have to remember a couple of things about that. Number one, these glasses should be made to maximize their distance vision because this is where they often have difficulties. Because many children with ROP are nearsighted, they often may only see things that are within five to six inches from their eyes clearly. Things that are beyond that, say for example two to three feet away, those things are often blurred and this is why we see many kids who have ROP can be as much as two to three times delayed in crawling or walking. They're often very very content they're often very very content with simply holding things close to their eyes at a distance of eight to ten inches because when a child has ROP they're often able to see very very clearly if things are very close. I've seen children who have ROP where they are able to see things very very well but only at a distance of one or two inches from their eyes. So these are the young newborn babies that they just stare at their fingers and many people often think that they have autistic behaviors at this early age but basically this is what the child could see at that distance. So when a child is having delays in their motor skills 
we want to really make certain that we have the right glasses for them. When we see children who are three to six months of age, we often will prescribe those glasses so that they could focus at a distance just beyond their hand's reach because this is going to help to promote the development of their awareness of their hands and they start to reach for things. That's what we want them to do is we want them to use their hands to reach for toys and such. When children get a little bit older, then we can extend the prescription of the glasses so that the glasses will focus at a distance of three to six feet. And this is going to help the child to see those toys that we put on the floor so they then start to crawl towards it. It's an excellent stimulus to get kids to start to crawl. When kids have finished crawling, we then will extend the prescription of the glasses to focus at 10 feet and beyond so that children could see further and they're going to have that type of balance to help them to stand on two feet and to begin to walk. So the main thing here is that because many children with ROP are very nearsighted, we have to go ahead and prescribe the power of the glasses for their developmental age. Not for 2020, but for their developmental age. Many times, doctors will prescribe a young newborn a prescription that's designed to see at 20 feet. And these kids will often not wear these types of glasses. We just saw a child today at our clinic, and this is a child who was seen by another eye doctor, and the doctor is a very, very good surgeon. But the glasses that they prescribed for this little baby with ROP was designed to be focused at 20 feet, and he wouldn't wear the glasses. Well, what we did is we actually just lowered the prescription, and the child was able to adapt to wearing the glasses very well. And the main thing about this is by making glasses that are too strong, if the glasses are too strong, then the child cannot focus on things up close. Okay? So again, for nearsightedness, we want to go ahead and prescribe the glasses at a developmental level. Another consequence of ROP is that many times when the scar tissue is inside the retina, it could sometimes pull and it could drag the retina in the back of the eye. This is something that we call a temporally dragged macula. What it means is that the macula, or the part of the eye that gives us detailed vision, it's actually been dragged or displaced in the eye because of that scar tissue. Now what this does, this often creates the impression or the appearance that the child's eyes are misaligned. These kids will often look as though their eyes are drifting outward or these kids will often appear as though they're not even looking at you when in fact that they are. Sometimes some doctors might actually perform eye muscle surgery to make the eyes appear to be straight but in reality when they are making the eyes appear to be straight they're actually causing the child to see double vision and when the child is seeing double vision this is something that affects their depth perception their eye hand coordination their mobility and also their reading so when you do have an examination with the eye doctor and your child has ROP we want to ask the doctor whether or not the macula has been dragged. And if you notice that your child just doesn't seem to be looking at your eyes when you're talking to your child, or your child seems to be looking behind you, that might be an indication that the macula has dragged. And the significance of this is that we really want to find this out 
because we don't want to make the mistake of doing surgery to straighten the eyes when we're actually going to worsen their vision. It's more of a cosmetic issue because people would say, my gosh, you know, it seems as though Johnny isn't paying attention to the class. He's never looking at me when I'm lecturing to the students. Well, we need to educate these teachers about the fact that, well, Johnny's retina has been dragged over, and this is why it looks as though he's not looking at you when he actually is. And this way, Johnny doesn't get in, in trouble at school, or the teacher doesn't then start to label him as having attention deficit disorder or all of these other types of problems. Now, another type of thing that we very frequently will see with kids who have ROP is that many of them are very, very sensitive to light, and we see other children who will actually benefit from having glasses that will be tinted. Now, when there's scar tissue inside the eye, light that comes inside the eyeball hits that scar tissue, and the light then scatters throughout the eye. It's almost analogous to when you're driving down the street and the sun is very low, you know, at 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night, and then suddenly there's a bird that does a little, you know, mess on your window. Well, that mess that's on your window is similar to the scar tissue. When light hits it, it tar starts to scatter and causes a lot of glare. So when you do prescribe glasses for children with ROP, you want to ask your eye doctor if he or she can incorporate a polarized lens. A polarized lens is a very, very good lens for kids who have ROP so that when they're outside in the glare, they actually could see things much clearer. Very often, a brown polarized lens works very, very well for, for these types of kids. Now, when we do all these things with the glasses, so far we figured out that we can go ahead and we can prescribe glasses to help children with ROP to see more clearly. We could give them exercises so they could learn to compensate for their peripheral vision. The next step to that is to introduce them to different types of low vision aids. Now one of the best types of low vision aids for children with ROP is to go ahead and to demonstrate the use of what we call a monocular telescope. And these are very small telescopes and like for example today I had two children that were three years old and we went ahead and we demonstrated and we showed them how to use a telescope. And these kids just thought it was so great that they could see the faces of their dad and mom and things very, very large. Now with these types of telescopes, the importance of teaching them how to use it early is that this is a way that we could also stimulate the visual cells of the brain. Remember, vision occurs in the brain and many children who have ROP will often have a brain hemorrhage. They might have something called an intraventricular brain hemorrhage, or others might have periventricular leukomalacia. And so these are indications where the visual areas of the brain have been affected also because of the premature birth. As you know, many children who are premature, they may not breathe normally early on, or they may have had seizures, and all of these types of things do affect the visual areas of the brain. Well, when a child is using these telescopes or magnifiers or other high-contrast stimuli, these are ways that we could still stimulate the visual centers of the brain. This is very, very important, especially during the first five years of life, that we stimulate those visual centers. 
So the telescopes are a great thing to do so that you could take your child to the zoo and they could look at some of the animals. If you're taking them on vacation, they could see different types of things. And also this is going to prepare them so that when they do attend school, they could see the board or other types of drawings and PowerPoint presentations or overheads in the classroom. Another great type of thing for many kids with ROP is when they are nearsighted, one of the best ways that they could magnify what they could see is by simply taking their glasses off. When they remove their glasses, if they are nearsighted and they remove their glasses, it immediately magnifies things. So for a lot of kids who have nearsightedness, we tell them, just don't put the glasses on them if we're doing fine motor skills. If they're trying to print, if they're doing writing, if they're in occupational therapy and trying to put um, pegs into a pegboard, we then say, let's do it without the glasses. Now in other cases, we might prescribe a bifocal for the child so they have magnification for reading and then they also have their distance. This is something that we will use if a child has too much nearsightedness such that if they take the glasses off, they have to hold the print at one or two inches from the eyes to see it clear. It's kind of hard for a lot of kids to write or to read if they have the book one or two inches from their eyes. In these cases, we will basically prescribe a bifocal lens and kids adapt to using a bifocal very, very quickly and very, very nicely. Another type of thing that we could also do for kids who have the retinopathy of prematurity is many kids we will even demonstrate the use of video magnifiers. These have computer screens with a little camera underneath there and we could magnify the text and print even up to 75 to 85 times. Now this is a very helpful way so that children could begin to learn their numbers and letters and symbols and shapes and it's a way that you as a parent could sit with your child and show them these pictures in a book and do these things very very well. When a child has to hold the book one or two inches from his or her eyes it gets kinda hard for parents to sit next to him or her and to try to do that type of reading. So these video magnifiers are, are really a great way that you can help you know your child to become interested in books and to do different types of learning. Now what if your child does have a problem where your child did have premature birth and there was retinopathy of prematurity but there was also some issues that did affect the brain. There might be cerebral palsy, there might have been the lack of oxygen to the brain or there might have been a brain hemorrhage. It's very very important that you incorporate a lot of what we call visual perception activities. In the very back of the brain we do know that this is where a lot of visual processing occurs and so it's very helpful to do things such as shape sorters, to do puzzles, to do alphabet blocks so they'd have to put the letters A, B, and C in the slot where it, begin it belongs. All of these things are very important to develop the visual spatial regions of the brain and the reason that this is very important is because visual spatial skills they help children to be able to map where it is that they're walking it's also something that helps them in their math and science skills and we also find that this is something that helps kids to be able to subitize and subitize is, is a word that we use 
to describe when a child is looking at things that are on the floor and trying to count them are they able to count them by looking at it with a glance so let's say that you have a dice and you roll the dice on the floor okay this is a great activity to teach the child to be able to identify how many dots are on that dice all at one glance there's been a lot of different types of studies and these studies have showed that children who have this visual ability to glance and to count immediately they do develop higher levels of mathematics skills and such so there's many many different types of things that you could do uh, for your child who does have retinopathy of prematurity in addition to some of those medical and surgical types of techniques now uh, next month we're going to be having Dr. Tawanzi who's going to be talking about some of these different types of advances in medicine and science and I think that he's also going to be talking to us what can we expect with different things such as stem cell tissue transplant also in terms of what are some of the things that are presently be done with the subretinal retinal chip implant over here in Los Angeles at the USC School of Medicine uh, they have implanted chips electrode chips underneath the retina to help people who do have retinal problems to be able to see and I have patients who have undergone that procedure for the clinical trial and they went from total blindness to being able to see things such as a coffee cup a bowl and they could even differentiate a bowl from a plate which I thought was pretty pretty impressive so overall I want you to know that I cannot believe what I've seen the changes over the years before any child that I saw this was about 1987 1988 when there was a child who was born 28 weeks or less these kids had significant vision problems significant and these kids also had significant developmental problems and today I'm seeing kids routinely kids who are born at 24 or 25 weeks and these kids are doing extremely well so the point to this is that the knowledge of the doctors to be able to treat kids who are premature is much much better and we also now know that the great work of all the therapists is really having a, a very 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 positive effect so at this time I want to go ahead and just remind everybody that this is something that tonight's podcast is being recorded and it's going to be available on airs la and that is www.airsla.org and we have many podcasts there for parents and family members uh, it's also going to be on the braille institute webpage and that's going to be at www.brailleinstitute.org and the third one is that it's also going to be available at uh, my foundation's website and that's www.drbillfoundation.org and that's drbillfoundation.org okay so let's go ahead and and let's open it up to some questions and uh, there might be a slight pause because uh, this is being recorded 
and uh, we're going to go ahead and repeat the question for the recording itself. So are there any questions? Yeah, the question is, what is the term that we use that helps a person to simply be able to glance at something and count it immediately? And that is subitize, S-U-B-E-T-I-Z-E. Next question, please. Yes, the question is, uh, she has a daughter who has retinopathy of prematurity, and the retinopathy of prematurity affected the peripheral retina and the central retina, and she had a detachment. And fortunately, the retina surgeons were able to reattach the retina, and that is fantastic. And while they did the surgery, they also removed the internal lens of the eye. Now, all children who are born, they have an internal lens of the eye, and it's quite common that children who have ROP that they might have that lens removed because this is something that often makes it easier for the surgeons to do the surgery. Now we see this all the time. We see this all the time where kids have either had the lens removed or a cataract developed and the cataract lens was removed. And there's a couple of things. Number one, an artificial lens can be inserted into the eye and this often works very, very well. This often works very, very well to help the light to focus on the retina to help kids to see. In other cases, if the surgeon decides not to put an implant inside the eye, we will fit these children with a contact lens or we'll just fit them with glasses. Now these glasses are a little bit stronger in power, so they're a little bit heavier, but we do have new lens materials that can make things much lighter, very, very light in weight. So it's very, very common that over at our center here in Los Angeles, the Center for the Parsi Sighted, we see children who have had an implant or kids who do need to wear the contact lenses or the stronger glasses. And we still will do the same types of treatments. We will teach these kids how to scan. We will teach them how to use these low vision devices such as a monocular telescope or we will show them a CCTV. And these are kids that when we implement the treatment early on, it's something that they learn to do quite well. Now another thing is I also want to make a point that there are some children who have ROP and these children have no vision at all. It could be said it was so severe the retina detached and the retina did not reattach well. Or even if it did reattach, for whatever reason, the vision is very poor. And I see that many, many people who do have ROP and are introduced to other types of reading such as Braille or other types of auditory reading that they do very very well. Now earlier on in my career when I was a eye doctor I used to think well everybody has to try to use their remaining vision to be able to read and to write but it's been after my own personal loss of vision some of you may not know this but I lost my vision about four years ago to, to a retinal degenerative disease and today I am totally blind and, and my perspective of all of this has changed completely what I realize is that vision is something that's important to a person who is visual but to people who are not visual or people who are low vision or who have blindness we often learn to do things in such a different way such that for me now as a blind person I'm a veteran of being blind since 2008 where I've been totally blind I really don't think about the fact that I don't see 
I have so many things that I have to do in my everyday that I'm thinking about those things and not whether or not I see or not. So the point to this is that if a child has minimal vision or even a moderate degree of vision, I strongly encourage that the early intervention staff or the teachers for the visually impaired that they also introduce Braille to a child who has ROP because many times children with ROP who still have vision might be able to read faster and for a longer time by using their fingers. There's been a lot of research recently and this research has been studying the occipital lobe of the brain. This is the part of the brain that we normally use for seeing and what we're finding is that many people who have vision impairment we're finding that the part of the brain that is normally used to see is actually becoming used to be able to understand touch so in other words some people who have low vision when we study their brains and they read braille we find that the part of the brain that they are reading using to read braille with their fingers is actually the part of the brain that is normally used for seeing so this is a really remarkable type of phenomenon and it explains why so many people who are blind have such extraordinary extraordinary reading skills with braille and being tactile so the point to that that long little sermon there is i think that if your child has mild loss of vision moderate loss of vision or severe loss of vision i think that they should all be introduced to braille so that braille could be a second language they could learn to read in english and they could also learn to read in braille just like they might learn to speak in japanese as well as in french okay so definitely and if you are in different parts of the country you could email me and i could help to find you clinics that do low vision in in your part of the country so you could email me at bill at drbillfoundation.org and I could help you with that. Next question. Okay. Well, if there are no if there are no other questions, I I hope that this information tonight was helpful to you. And then if you join in on is it the date, Sue? Okay. If you join in with us on Thursday, May thirteenth, and we will be sending out information about the same call-in number. And that uh, we will be having Dr. Cal Tawanzi, who is one of the most noted pediatric retina surgeons here in in California, and he's going to be talking about some of the medical and surgical types of techniques. So, again, thank you very much for your time. And if you have any questions, I'm going to stay on, and we will stop the recording to allow you to answer questions off the recording. Okay, so hold on, and I'm going to stop the recording. And we'll we'll answer more questions. Okay?